Kia ora and welcome. I'm Boris Lamont and this is the New Zealand Wine Podcast. Thanks for joining us where we're heading north of Auckland to Matakana to a vineyard called Heron's Flight where we're speaking with Mary and Dave who founded this winery specialising in Italian varietals. This is part one of our recording on site where we speak with Mary so be sure to also check in shortly for part two where we have a chat with Dave. Right now let's go speak with Mary. So hi Mary. Um, thanks for having us here. Hi, Boris. <laughs> at your um, at your lovely vineyard in the Matakana. and so how did how did all this come about for you? I mean, have you been involved in um, wine or agriculture sort of way back, or was it an idea or a dream? Or so when we first met in the nineteen seventies, we went to a lot of vineyards. It was our favourite thing to do, and we went around all the vineyards in South and West Auckland, and became very familiar with the different styles of wine and we had a few role models who were quite inspiring. There was a guy who had started a vineyard, um, he was a customs agent and he decided he wanted to make wine and he had a nice little vineyard. I can't remember the name of it but David probably will. In in, in West Auckland? In West Auckland. Right, okay. It's, um, it was, he just did everything from his house. Right, yeah. Uh, and we used to visit Matua and Collards and, you know, um, the ones in Lincoln Road. Mm-hmm. And then when we, I was a teacher and my husband was a um, community worker. But when we were nearly 40, we decided that this is what we wanted to do. We, so we started on it. We saw an advertisement for a vineyard at Tiaro, which is just north of here, about an hour's north north and it was an established vineyard and it had been set up by a man called Max Robertson and he was a spitfire, he made spitfires and sold them but his passion was growing grapes and making wine so Joe Corbin told us the story after we decided so we went up what some of the stories that he told him so we went up there and had a look at it and we decided we would go throw everything in and buy it. Right, okay. And we were living in St Mary's Bay and we had quite a valuable house. Mm-hmm. And so we made an effort to buy this place and we went to the auction but we didn't get it. So when when are we talking? When, when was we're this? We're talking about 1976, okay, okay. 75, 76. So, so still re- Sorry, 85, 86. Eight, 85, 86, okay. Yeah, yeah. So still relatively early for wine in, in New Zealand. There were yes, it was. And um, so when we thought that we might buy this place, we got Ross Spence, who was growing grapes at Tahana, or buying grapes from Tahana. A guy called Ron Beecroft was growing Pinot Gris there, Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. And um, so he drove, drove me up when he was buying the grapes from Max and we talked about growing grapes and making wine and I said to him, well, what do you think we should grow? And he said, um, French table wine. And so we eventually, when we found this place, we planted um, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot and Cabernet Franc. Right, okay. But we didn't get the property at TRI, so we decided that we that was what we really wanted to do. We were so disappointed, particularly my husband. He was really, really disappointed. So right. we started to think, oh, okay, we can start from scratch. We can buy some land and we'll grow grapes and make wine. So we started to look for land 
within an hour's drive of Auckland. Okay, right. So we were, we were living in the centre of Auckland, so we could have gone north, south, west. You can't really go east. So um, we started every weekend, we'd come, we'd explore bits of land where we could grow our, grape, grow mm-hmm. our grapes. And we had heard when we were looking at this land um, at TRI that there was a vineyard here in Matakana and that was um, what was called the Antipodean mm-hmm. because we were engaging with the Wine Institute and Terry Dunleavy, Dunleavy told me about it. And so one day we made a wrong turn uh, when we were coming back from TRI and we drove through and we found, we went over the hill, Parkery Hill, which you can just see from here and it's a place where you can easily get lost and we ended up in Matakana. And there was just a village store there. And then someone said, oh, and we asked them where the vineyard in Matakana was. And he said, oh, it's just down the road there. But nobody really knew very much about it at that time. So we were sort of, it was a stab in the dark to grow grapes up here. But we decided that the land that would be most suitable would be north facing, which this is, for the maximum sunlight. And also on top of a hill because you need wind to dry the grapes out and stop because it's a very humid environment. And then when I started talking to Ross Spence, he said that he thought it was about time that we made decent table wine from um, French varietals because uh, and more subtle and better with food, you know, right. than Australian wines, which were at that time quite jammy because they were hot climate wines. Yep. So... We duly um, then decided that where were, where were we going to get the vines. So we started to meet with Joe Corbin, who was a member of the Corbin family, mm-hmm. and um, and then he told me about Max Robertson. And I have to tell the story because it's one of the best stories about <laughs> yeah, starting vineyards in the, that I know. Now, when we went there and had a look at it, we were it's right on the on, La, on Slipper Lake. Or Spectacle Lake, actually, okay. and it's really beautiful. It looks overlooks the water at TRI Beach. Okay, and but it was advertised as having an airstrip. So this is, and this is just this for just for listeners. This is just north of just here. north. Yeah, it's so yep. Mungafai, basically. Yeah, between here and Mungafai. Mm-hmm. And um, so we went and had a look at it, and he had apples. It was uh, absolutely charming. But um, Joe Corbin told us that when he was buying the grapes, he was selling these Spitfires to Australia and he wanted to buy some grapes from Joe Corbin. So he said to Joe, can I have so many grapes? And and Joe said, yes, okay. And he delivered them and then Max said, will you give me a discount for cash? And Joe said, I don't know about that. But he said, well, what about this cash? And he opened his suitcase and he had a, a whole suitcase full of Australian dollars that he'd just got from selling a Spitfire to Australia. And this was in the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. But um, he, he also, he had to terrace his vineyard. And so what he did was he got, got lots of dynamite and he blew terraces, you know, he used to dynamite to blow terraces around his property. And of course we were enchanted. I mean, this is a fantastic story. He yeah. was a real... Um, yeah. Rebel and you know, but unfortunately he died of cancer, mm. and so and then his wife had to sell it, and we went to the auction, and, and it just didn't work out. 
So is it still a vineyard? Do you know? Is it yes, still? it yep. is actually. Mm. Um, but I don't know what they do with it really. Right. Okay. But when you when we looked at the grapes that he had there, we didn't really want to make wine from those grapes. It was Brydecker, I think, which is a white grape. Right. Okay. And um, the vines were a little bit tired and old. So we thought, well, we'll start from scratch now. And so in 1987, we found this land after looking for a year mm-hmm. at least mm. and looking at hundreds of pieces of land. We finally found this one, which was part of a subdivision that was being made by a guy, another eccentric, who was <laughs> subdividing all this land. And, and was there still just Antipodean at that stage or had yeah, other people yeah. started? It was, it was the Antipodean, but... Um, then they decided to, the two brothers, James mm. and Peter, decided to sell. So we went to the auction and we bought some of their winemaking equipment and um, we used their old winery. It's, oh, okay. It's now a Hyperion. Right. It had right. been bought by a guy called Glen Island. I mean, the place was absolutely full of these quiet kind of eccentric go-getting people and Glen... Um, rented us the winery and he had a few vines. So we looked after the vines and made wine from them and he let us use the winery. Some of the earlier years, um, you know, he, for example, he butchered a pig one day, <laughs> which had been pre-marinated in wine. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and we were from the city and, and you asked earlier if we were... Um, if we were knew anything about horticulture or agriculture, well, the answer is no. Right, yeah. yeah I mean, a, my mother's a gardener and so is my father and so we've always had gardens and, and I must say that even in Ponsonby, which is full of clay soil and snails, my mother had a good garden. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. She just believes in building up the soil. So we did know how to use a spade. Mm, mm. <laughs> there are a lot of other things to learn though. Yes, mm. and so, well, of course, um, the first thing was to learn to get the best land, but we, the, the government viticulturists were still available at that time. Mm-hmm. And so we went to the DSIR and we were put on to a man called Richard Smart who w- knew everything that there is to know really about growing grapes. And he was very keen on big vines and open canopies and things like that. It was probably before his time. He's gone back to work at Roseworthy in Adelaide now. Oh, okay, but the college. Mm. Right, but he wrote this book called "Turning Sunlight into Vines Wine," mm. which was our Bible. Okay, yeah. And he came and looked at the land and just told us, you know, what we should do. And we've always followed the big vine principle. Mm-hmm. And um, then when we ca- when it came to buying the vines, we met Joe Corbin, and he supplied us with vines. And he was a member of the Vine Improvement Society, so we were pretty keen on. Um, getting the best vines for the best environment. Yeah. And so what what were they? What, what did you... Cabernet Sauvignon, yes. Merlot. Right, okay. Yep. Cabernet Franc and Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. planted, planted the Cabernet first in 1988. But we'd already ordered the vines and bought the land, so we were pretty optimistic we were going to be doing it. Mm-hmm. And the year 1987, we put in the trellising, mm-hmm. which is, as you can see, it's almost the same as... Kumu River, they have the same trellising system. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. So then, um, but my husband has got, a, David has got a degree in philosophy uh, and chemistry. And the chemistry, oh, chemistry. is more important than yeah. the philosophy in the, <laughs> yeah. in the scheme of things. And it's organic chemistry, so he 
as he understands the nature of wine and how to make it. But of mm. course, we got advice. We had to start with learning how to grow them and then learning how to make it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So our first wine, um, our guide was Alex Corbin, who's Joe's brother. And he'd just retired. And so Joe introduced us to him. So for the first two years in 91 and 92, Joe and Alex and Gwen, Alex's wife, all came up and helped us. Right, okay. So that's, um, what, did you say 89 you planted? 87, 89? We first made our, made our first wine in 91. 91. So, mm. and you planted in? 87, 88. 88, okay. Yeah. So about so three years after. Yes, yep. that's right. And our mm-hmm. first wine was a pure Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. And Alex gave, he had been to Roseworthy and he had a BSc from Auckland University and he gave David all his notes. He was a really good mentor. Yeah, yeah, well, it sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's still a steep learning curve though to... Um, yes, but it takes time, you know. Yeah. I mean, and both of us have got degrees. Yeah. And like to read. Right, yeah, yeah. But one thing I will say about um, learning how to grow grapes, I mean, I've got an English degree and um, studied English literature and that's different than winemaking because what you have to do is you read a poem and then you analyse it carefully and then discuss it, but there is no right and wrong in the sense, in a scientific, you know, you can't verify things Mm. in the same way as you can with science. Mm. So I thought, oh, this will be nice because um, growing grapes is based on science and there will be more consistency in people's approach. But I learned very quickly within about three months that there's no two, no two wine scientists will agree. Right, yeah. Yeah. And and because it's it's a science, but it's also very much an individual way of approaching things. Mm. Mm. Sometimes I say it's like a craft rather than an mm. art. Yeah, yeah. So well, and and um, emotions the, come into it a lot. Yeah, well, and there's so many variables, aren't there, as well? So you, you know, different different year, um, your inputs are different, your raw ingredients different. So well, that's true, but there is still science. Mm. And so um, do you still produce those varietals now or not? You no, moved away from no they don't, we don't at all. We won a gold medal in the wine um, competition in 1993. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, that's pretty, that's quite soon after yeah, <laughs> it's I know, starting. I know. Yeah. We, we were lucky. It was the first and probably the only competition we ever entered. Because we wanted to have a benchmark for our wine. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get really good wine from young vines too. And 91 was a good year, so we were lucky. And Alex helped us to make it. Right. So a few things came together. For, yeah. 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 He was very thorough and precise mm-hmm. and taught us a lot, really. He and Richard Smart at the beginning. Yeah. And Joe Corbin, of course, he was just wonderful. He used to come and look through the vines, make sure they were growing all right. Tell us off if we weren't doing it properly. Yeah, good. <laughs> Told us that before we embarked on this process, we had to make sure our marriage was really good. <laughs> that was addressed to me. <laughs> um, A very we holistic to, then um, help you were getting. <laughs> well, yes, marriage advice. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> um, so, yes, okay, so the... 
1990s, these wines, these grapes produced really good wine for a few years, but this is a very difficult climate to grow grapes in. And um, the Cabernet Sauvignon stopped producing very much. And also the fact is that in New Zealand it's really hard to ripen Cabernet Sauvignon because it's related to Sauvignon Blanc, as you probably know. And it has green flavours. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really like those. But we made some very good ones, 91, 94, 98. Um, but that, so... We stopped making it probably about 2000. But in the meantime, after when we were driving home from Wellington with a boot full of award-winning wine, we stopped at Scenic Cellars, which was run by a guy called Peter, who was really, really, really keen on um, Italian wine. Mm-hmm. And Topo, and, yeah, and of the North Island. Yes, that's right, Topo. Topo. So my... Um, so we stopped there and he, we said, would you like to buy some of our wine? He said, no, but I'll swap it. And he gave us some really delicious Italian wine. Ah. And David said, oh, I want to make wine like this. And so we came back and we said to Joe, can you supply us with some Italian grapes? Because we still had a block we hadn't planted. And he gave us some and we tried them and we found which clone worked best here. And... Started making wine from that in about 1999. Right. Okay. So did you did you remove some yeah, vines to make room did. for well, it? Yeah. We so grafted them, I think. Right. Yeah. Okay. So so you had already fully planted the the land you had. Well, we planted okay. Cabernet Sauvignon in the lower block, mm-hmm. and and Merlot and Chardonnay and Cabernet Franc. But our neighbours did a development some in the mid 90s, and sprayed it with some a herbicide which was really toxic and. Destroyed the Merlot. Oh. That wasn't very nice. Mm. And then the Cabernet Franc didn't ever do very well. You know, it's a, it's a bit iffy. You have to be sure that you've got really robust vines mm-hmm. and treat them properly and not let them. And you know, we they just sort of shriveled up. Right, right. This and we didn't right get very them. much fruit from the Chardonnay wines. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the last times that we made Chardonnay was in t- the year 2000 because it was just ripe and we made a champagne on Method Champadois. Mm-hmm. The day we picked it the day we won the America's Cup last. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the year 2000. It was a kind of affirmation of, you know, we thought that we were going to have that tech meltdown and right, the end of the yes. world was going to come. Yes, yeah, the, um, we won Y2K. the America's Cup. Yes, like, that's yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. we won the America's Cup and that was an affirmation. So we thought, oh, well, we'll make some sparkling wine and we made some beautiful Blanc de Blanc. Oh, wow. That's mm. very cool. So we've always, always, and we made some delicious Chardonnay as well, but the grapes just, they didn't can't stand up to this climate and ripen properly and not get disease. So, and particularly the humidity you're talking yeah, it's about? mainly yeah. the humidity, and mm. also it's very um, vigorous, you know, soil. Things grow very fast here. Right, right. And yeah, so we haven't got any of those original plantings. But so in 1996 or thereabouts, we started experimenting with Italian grapes, and then. We found that they they do really well here. They've got a different kind of um, grape berry. They've got thicker skins. Mm -hmm. They don't have that green aftertaste. They're always ripe. Mm -hmm. ripe. And if we leave them on the vines long enough, they will ripen. Mm -hmm. 
And so just just on that, so when you say you get um, vine stock, do you get it, was it from someone locally who had something or do you have to no, import it? No, no, we've it gotten through Joe Corbin. He was a viticulturalist right. and he ran this Corbin's Viticulture in West Auckland okay. after the Corbin's family lost control of their, you know, of Corbin's. The winery. Yep. The winery. And yep. um, he belonged to the Vine Improvement Society. He He just had... He would get the the the, the vine stock for the Sangiovese came from um, oh, Emilia Romagna. There's a university there, mm-hmm. which keeps, you know, the little right, yep, vines. Yep, and um, he had hundreds of them, and some, and then Joe got hold of them through the person who brought them into the country, took them through quarantine, the Vine Improvement Society, and we trialed a few, and then he made up more. Okay. For the following year, and and was anyone else doing Sangiovese up this way at that time, or no, was it so it was no, quite new for no. yeah? Mm. Mm. But pe- people started. Uh, one of the interesting things about this area is people do experiment. They've got quite small vineyards, and they will try different kinds of grape varieties. I mean, if you explore the Matacana area, you'll find Spanish varieties, Carmenera from Ransoms, which mm-hmm. is South American. Um, um, f- not not many people are growing Cabernet Sauvignon anymore. Not even in New Zealand. Mm. Mm. But Merlot, Shiraz, or Syrah, and um, oh, there's a guy called Jim Hyde who grows quite a lot of Italian varietals. Okay. So mainly reds. Would that be right then, though? Around up this here. Way? Yeah. No, a lot of people grow Pinot Gris. Pinot Gris. Okay. And now there's a revival in Chardonnay. Okay. A lot of people are replanting in Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. Mm. We'd like to, but it's really hard for us to grow it. Mm. We don't. We feel that we're better off growing just these two Italian grape varieties yeah. that we've got. So, and which which are the two? So Sangiovese, San obviously. Sangiovese and Dolcetto. Okay. Okay. A couple of years after we'd planted the Sangiovese, we thought, well, we'd better have another grape variety, because you know you can't really have a monoculture, because. Something Dolcetto is much earlier ripening, mm-hmm. and if anything happens to the Dolcetto later in the season, we've got the Sangiovese. You know, we can pick and choose. Mm-hmm. So far, we've had pretty good crops from both of them. So, did you gradually then just replace all the existing? Mm. Yep. Yeah, with yep. Sangiovese, and then we planted with basically where the Merlot was that was destroyed. We planted with Dolcetto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how would you describe your two your two varietals? You know, in in sort of as a well, I'll tell you what their names mean. Yep. Sangiovese means the blood of Jove, and Jove was a Roman god, and um, so obviously they thought it it was a, he was a pretty a luscious grape because they named it after a god, and he's a powerful god. He was one of the chief. Okay. In the pantheon, mm-hmm. and then Dolcetto means little sweet one. And that comes from the north of Italy, Piedmont. Mm-hmm. So they're completely different. And here we are in New Zealand, a long way from Italy, growing two Italian grapes that grow in completely different parts of Italy. Right, yeah. And, and um, so I'll start with Dolcetto. Mm-hmm. It's a very small grape and it's got it's garnet coloured and it's got a very thick skin and although it's called a little sweet one, it only has a little bit of very sweet juice, but it's, it, it has a bit of tannin grip. So it's um, 
but it's not a big producer. And okay. so in Italy, it's used as a um, village wine. Mm-hmm. And, beca- and it's not exported very much because economically, people like to have quite big production. Also, it has high notes, which means it's sort of like red plums okay. or cherries or, you know, some early summer fruits. Mm-hmm. And that's um, quite startling to a lot of people that they – it's not um, – it's really good with food. Okay. Yep. But it doesn't produce very much. But we really like it because it's so different. And Sangiovese is a big, robust wine. It's um, – Vine and and it's got big purple berries on it, and project, and it's very forgiving. You know, we get ripe Cabernet, ripe Sangiovese every year. Mm-hmm. Okay. We use the Dolcetto to make a rosé because it's early ripening and um, we and it's it makes a good rosé because it's got lighter notes. Okay. Yep. Yep. And but not just rosé. You actually no. We also yep. make a reserve. Yep. And we've blended it. Oh, okay. With the Sangiovese, and that made a really delicious wine. Yep. And so, do you do that every year, or just no, no, sometimes, we, depending on the? Every year we do something different. Okay. Depending upon the vintage, mm-hmm. um, and what our intentions are for the following couple of years. Okay. With yep. regard to wine. Mm-hmm. So we're we're um, we're dictated by the weather and the seasons, but we're also dictated by our own energy. How many people we've got working for us? How much barrel space we've got? Mm-hmm. Whether we've got too much to sell, you know. Yeah. We always make rosé from the Dolcetto. It's really popular. Yeah. It's got full-bodied and fragrant, and hits all. The, I'll give you a bottle. Mm-hmm. Or you can have a taste. Yeah. <laughs> and um, um, and sorry, just on that, do they do they do that in, in Italy? Do they make rosé from? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Mm. We've got a book about Italian grape varieties, and um, when we, I don't think so, but Brown Brothers in Australia makes a rose style wine from yep. Dolcetto and okay. Shiraz. Mm-hmm. Shiraz. Mm-hmm. It's much sweeter than, um, than ours, though. Right, right, okay. But it's the most popular red wine, mm. <laughs> so I hear, wow. from the marketing team. Wow, okay. Brown Brothers. Yeah. Do you think um, rose's. Just increasing at the moment. And, oh yeah, and it's yeah. really popular. Yeah, it's popular here too. Yeah, mm. but we take ours very seriously. We have a particular way of making it that we think it's a it's a rosé wine for people who don't really like rosé. In what in what way? So well, because it's full flavoured and okay. it has many layers. Right. Okay. Yep. It's not mono, monodimensional. Mm-hmm. It's not too sweet. It's not. Um, it's a little bit tart. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Good with food. And what? And what particularly? Have you got a favourite f- to match with it? Oh, of food. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Dolce. Um. Risotto. Risotto with the rosé. Yes. Yep. Made nice. With, made with rosé with red wine. Red wine risotto with yep. rosé. Yep. It's seafood. Actually, or dark chocolate. Or dark chocolate. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, they're quite different. <laughs> well, it's full flavoured, you see. Right. It, it can take quite a lot of. It picks right. up different dimensions yeah. in the holds wine its own to and the food. Yeah. Like the chocolate that I like it with is raspberry truffles made by Edith, who goes to Mad Counter Market. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a locally made, yeah. handmade chocolate. Well, nice. Made, we went to a wine show once and we had a wine and chocolate tasting. Oh, good. And we paired them. 
We had fun. Very good. Making yeah. That decision. That's so great. The, the dark, the, the dark chocolate truffles, go really with raspberry because mm-hmm. the raspberry gives it a bit of zing. Right. Yeah. And nice. And the dark notes balance it mm-hmm. in the chocolate. And See, I think food and wine should complement each other. You don't necessarily repeat the same flavours. No. You contrast no. them. Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> Again, it's one of those things I think different people have different opinions. I've heard some people say things and I go, okay, I'm not quite sure about that. You know, it, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? And it, it well, just, the only way to do it is to demonstrate it. That's right, it? is to try it. That's right. And there's, there's Sangiovese, what... what I'll tell you a little bit more about the Sangiovese. Mm. We, we, at the moment, so I'll talk about now, we have two Dolcettas for tasting, the Rosé and the Reserve, and three Sangioveses. And <clears throat> we make uh, an entry-level one, which we call Valare, it means the flight. And we make a Reserve, which we've made ever since we started. And they're made quite differently. And we make one in the clay vessel called an amphora. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we've got those three. Mm-hmm. And and so the the reason for doing the three is that because of what well, you when get you're, out of the. We only have two grape varieties, mm-hmm. and we don't have white wine, so hence the rosé, because you know people do like a lighter, crisper, easier drinking wine. Mm-hmm. But the Valare, we have an entry level which is under screw cap. And that's because if we want to sell it to restaurants, they want to serve it by the glass. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also it's made quite quickly, fermented in stainless steel, with a little bit of oak flavouring, mm-hmm. you know, from staves and things like that. And the, but we w- wouldn't always do that. But it's got less oak, you know. It's, okay. And then, and that's released quite early. So we've just. Bottled the 2015, which is early for us. Okay. And, and so would you say that's, uh, for, for someone who wasn't that familiar with a Sangiovese, is that a little bit more accessible for them, a little bit of an introduction to yes. the variety? Yes, I mean, that's say? what I say to people, because we've got a tasting for $5, which is an introduction to Dodgetta. Right. And an introduction to Sangiovese. Yeah. And, and that's quite a forward wine. It's one that makes an immediate impact. Mm, mm. And it's dark and luscious and forest fruits and, you know, mm. it's good. Mm. And then the reserve, both the reserve wines are made by very careful manipulation of the skins. And if you want to know more about that, I'd ask Dave. Okay. <laughs> okay. And he <laughs> will describe it. You can splice it in or whatever you want to do with it. Because I, I listen to him giving wine tastings and he is much better than me at describing all this. Anyway, he does it. He's a winemaker. Sure, yeah. So the Reserve is um, a graceful, elegant wine. Yeah, it's really delicious. It's probably my favourite. Okay. And then the Amphora is completely different because it's in clay Mm. and it was introduced to us by an Italian winemaker that we employed for since at the end of 2014 and he brought the Amphora with him from Tuscany. So is that a traditional, is that what traditionally they do a lot of? or Well, he did. He'd, yeah. And it's undergoing a revival. I mean, it's 2,000 years old. They've, all over the Mediterranean, they use these clay amphora mm. to store not just wine, but olive oil and food mm-hmm. and 
things like that. Mm. Like the Maori used gourds mm. for wood pigeons, didn't they? And so how long does it sit in the amphora? How long? Um, a year. But I, again, you ask Dave. Right, I'll yeah. get him to come and talk to yeah. you in a minute. Yeah, sure. Do you drink a lot of uh, Italian Sangiovese? Is it something that you know you sort we're, of like doing? Been, or? I mean, Stefano, for example, bought us Sangiovese. He worked at a place called Petrolo, and they made pretty good Sangiovese, so drunk some that he's made. There isn't that much imported. We tend to search it out. People bring us Australian Sangiovese. When they mm. go over to Australia, they bring us some. Mm. And we've got a son who lives in California, so we've tried quite a bit of Californian Sangiovese. Right. And uh, also you can go to... I mean, it's the same grape that's grown in Chianti. And that's what Chianti's made from, Sangiovese. Right, OK. And also, but we have heard recently from Danny Schuster, who's been um, helping us to improve our grape growing on a very hands-on process... That he goes to Italy and consults there a lot, and he says that they've they had, in 2000 they did a, an assessment of all the Sangiovese clones or types of Sangiovese that there are in Italy, and they found 2,000 varietals. Wow! And they've DNA tested a lot of them, and so he says that we've got quite a few different types of Sangiovese in our vineyard. Yeah. Okay. He said, yeah. So. Yeah. And one day. When we have the time, we'll go through and identify them right. all. Right, yeah, yeah. But, it, they, but all of them together make a very nice wine. Mm. And, and do you think you could describe your Matacana Sangiovese in, in you know, comparison to an Italian one? Is there a sort of something that's different because it's grown here? And We have had, well, I will say that we've had quite a lot of Italian winemakers come here just because they're curious. Yes. And they immediately drink it and say, yes, that's Sangiovese. It's right. a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is that we've adapted our grape growing to our environment. And so it's, and it's grown on clay. So, and also, but it's very silky. It's got a really good mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. But we work on that in the winemaking. It's also, um, but... What red wines grown on clay tend to have a silky consistency, so they're very smooth and delicious. I think ours has more flavour, tends to have more flavour, and mm-hmm. I think it's because even though we don't, we do get a lot of rain, we do get very clear sunlight. Right. And right. also um, because of our our viticultural techniques, we ripen the grapes so that the seeds are ripe. Mm-hmm. And so it's fully ripe. Doesn't have any bitterness from the skins. Right. Okay. Seeds. I mean, mm-hmm. when we make it. Also, we're very gentle in the manipulation of the juice when we're fermenting it. It's all done by hand. We don't pump it over or anything like that. Right. Okay. Okay. And this is what we learned from Stefano, who treated. See, Danny Schuster says that he's teaching us to think like grapevines. And, you know, he really does treat the vines as people, right. like, you know, very sensitively. Mm. And Stefano did with the wine as well. Mm-hmm. It was never rough. Mm. He even mm. played opera to it when he was working here. <laughs> His wife was an opera singer. Right, Italian opera. No, she's, oh, oh. yeah, any kind of opera. <laughs> but um, Anna Lise, his wife, was an opera singer. They met in Italy. Right. Nice. And that's why he came to New Zealand. Okay. 
just recently I had a Sangiovese had Merlot in it, which um, yeah, I is don't that know a lot super about Tuscan? It. Is that a super I Tuscan tell from you, Italy? But, um, was it yeah. from Italy? It was from Italy, yes. Yeah, they yeah. did quite a lot of blending too. Because Sangiovese can be quite harsh. Right. And sometimes people say it's one-dimensional. The way that they describe it um, in this wine book that I've got about Italian wines um, is that it has dark forest fruits. You know, it has things like brambles and mushrooms and hints of the forest floor. Mm-hmm. But, of course, I imagine the forests in Tuscany are quite different from the forests here. Yeah. So I've, <laughs> I've actually gone and picked some tea tree and brought it up and smelt it and seen whether there's any of the smells in our... Right, yeah. <laughs> and that wine that comes from our forest floor. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a spiciness. Right, okay. That you mm. can say, and earthiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that makes Sangiovese is different, to, you make it differently from other wines is because it needs lots of oxygen. You need to infuse, let it breathe. And that's why the wine that's been kept in a, um, had a long infusion on the skins is different from wine that's just been fermented quite quickly. Right, okay. And the wine that's been in the amphora has absorbed oxygen all its life, and that gives it a special quality. It makes mm. it softer and more rounded. Mm. Mm. And, and I saw you have a, a different shaped bottle for the yes. amphora. Yes, yeah. Yeah, 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 we do. Yeah. We try nice. and pack it, package it to represent the wine inside. Right, okay, nice. Well, and just on that, um, the... You know the beautiful uh, heron on on yeah. your bottle. Did that take a, a bit of experimentation to get it to get something like that? Because it's it's em, it's embossed almost, isn't it? So, well, know. the first thing that we had to do was name the vineyard, mm-hmm. and that's what we did um, when we first put those posts in the ground. A family of herons settled on this land, and they were they were um, in the pine trees down by the creek, mm-hmm. which goes into the Haraki Gulf. Mm-hmm. And um, so they they flew over, and I we realised that that was the name, Heron's Flight. Nice, because it evokes imagination and mm. fa- you know fancy and mm. things like that. And um, then we did when we were thinking of a bottle for the Sangiovese because of its ancient roots and its Roman connections. We thought about a lot of things. We got an Italian shaped bottle. And then we um, thought about putting something on it, you know, rather... Uh, we thought about roaming coins, all sorts of things. And then someone gave me a brooch after they'd been here because I gave them a good tour or something. It was made out of silver. He was a silver jewellery, mm. jeweller. Mm. And it was exactly like the herons that we now have on the bottle. Oh, OK. And so we thought, well, we should use that. So then we had to find someone who would make them. They're made out of pewter. Oh, okay, okay. And yeah. so, Lovely. and David has worked pretty hard on learning how to stick them on the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what he does. I mean, when it's raining or something like that, watching TV, he yeah. puts labels. Puts those on the bottle. Puts labels on. The yeah, well, it's, uh, it's, you know, other people know. It's very distinctive, very unique. It's lovely. And so, just on that, I mean, David putting the the herons on the bottle. So you're both involved in the process all the way through. So right from the... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mowing the grass. Working out. We have moved towards being organic in recent years. Mm-hmm. And so 
there's a lot of research that has to go into that because you don't want to when we we still have to spray of course but copper and you know mm. we we look out very carefully at the sprays that we put on mm. Mm. and um we've stopped stopped putting herbicides on the grass mm-hmm. so yeah we do everything mm. Mm. We do have our areas, like I look after the house and the cellar door mostly. Yeah, yeah. And David tends to do most of the outdoor work and the brain work and the winery, wine making. Yeah. Mm. And and how about, um, so people can obviously come on your website and, yes. and find your wine and buy online? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have it out um, elsewhere as well? Is it? Uh... Um, we export to England. Okay. And we have it in restaurants in Auckland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have it at the local restaurants here. Yep. And some there's some in Queenstown, some in Wellington. Right. So things yep. change though. So most of the most of the sales of our wine are from the cellar door. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You haven't asked about our family. Would you like to know something about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when we first came up here, we had um, our two sons. Mm-hmm. One was two, and one was eight. In 1987. And they, we drove up here from Ponsonby where we lived or St Mary's Bay. Actually, we sold our house in St Mary's Bay so that we could come up here and we lived in another house in Ponsonby. And um, we, they didn't like it very much. The two-year-old liked it okay because he liked playing in the mud and climbing up the posts and running around. But yeah. the other one thought it was a bit, it was much more exciting living in Ponsonby. But anyway, they grew up here and went to the local schools and made friends and then went to university and then took them quite a long time because they both went to university in Wellington to realise that Matakana was quite a nice place to come and now they both love it. But unfortunately, one lives works on super yachts and so he's not here very often. Mm. And the other one is an architect in San Francisco right. and he's married... And his wife works in IT. So there aren't the sort of jobs that they might like to have here. <laughs> and no. so we're sort of we're placeholders for them to want to come back at right. some stage. Okay. Okay. But we do miss their help. Because mm. they, you know, we need lots of strong young help here. Yep. Yep, so you have people who um, come back sort of year after year and, and help you with harvest, or Only you have quite sons. a few people coming through? Yeah. <laughs> Only our son Luke, really. He's, right. He's done it for the last eight years, but, um, oh, you know, you can always find... We, we have a few people around here, mainly consultants, who will mm-hmm. just come in and work away and help us to do things. Mm-hmm. The question we like to finish on is if you could have a glass of wine with anyone, either... Living or dead or doesn't not yet existing, which um which I had a chap this week actually came up with someone who didn't yet exist, which was his grandchildren. Um, but if you could have a glass of wine with anyone, um, what wine would it be, and where would it be, and and who would the who would the person be that you you think you'd okay. like to share a glass? Well, of I wine happen with? to know that Leonard Cohen, when he was in New Zealand, not the last time, but the time before that, he went to Prago. And mm-hmm. he had a bottle of our Heron's Flight Sanjay. Right, okay. Which is just reserve. for the listeners in a, a restaurant in Auckland and yeah, in Ponsonby. Right. Yeah. And I would love to have shared that with him. Yeah. yeah. That would have <laughs> I been love s- Leonard Cohen. Right, okay. Oh, that would have been something. That's cool. That's interesting. And you heard that from the restaurant? They came back and let yes, you know? From yeah. 
the guy who's the sommelier there. Oh, nice, nice, mm. yeah. That must it, it, that must be quite exciting getting that whole loop back, is it? From you know, as yeah. we've talked about, you're out there, you know, in the rain, doing things all the way through to putting it in the bottle and and sending it out, and then to have that feedback that you know, after all that process and all that care and attention, someone's enjoyed it. You know, like yeah, uh, we re- I remember it now um, when we first made our wine and we'd bottled it and sent it away, and somebody came in and bought a bottle. It was $24 then. And then they rang us up when they were drinking it. And that was pretty special. And sometimes people do that. Yeah. But more on email now. Yeah. But yeah. David quite often gets, he has a newsletter. And um, people know his email address. And quite often they'll just ring up and say, um, oh, I was drinking this wine. It's really nice. Thank you very much. That kind of thing. Mm. You feel really good when that happens. Yeah, that's nice. And yeah. just today, um, we've got a, some local people. We have fill-your-own-bottle days here. Okay. You know, we fill up our tank of wine and people bring along their bottles and fill them up. And we just got a message from someone who's in Italy at the moment who went to a winery in Italy and sh- sent us a picture of um, exact same tanks and saying that the guy just poured them a glass from the tank and he said, it reminded me of your fill-your-own-bottle days. Wish you were here. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, lovely. Feedback is yeah, really yeah. special, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Mm. Oh, very good. Sometimes we get bad feedback, but then you try and fix it up. <laughs> well, it's always the way, isn't it? Um, so thanks, Mary. I really appreciate your time and, and having us here. It's been good chatting to you. Okay, thank you. Cool. Thanks very much, Boris. You're very welcome. Lovely. We've been speaking with Mary at Heron's Flight in Matakana, north of Auckland. Thanks for listening in. Uh, be sure to also check out part two, where we speak with Mary's husband and co-founder, Dave, about his role in the Heron's Flight journey. Be sure also to check out some of our other great podcasts. Just uh, Google us or put NZ Wine Podcast into your podcast app. And we look forward to being with you again shortly. Hey, kona mai. Bye for now.